today we celebrate 30 years of Zamundan prosperity, 30 years of service to our great nation, and 30 years of delicious fast food. We want to welcome you all to McDowell Zamunda. Welcome to another edition of Culture Score. I'm Ben. I am Marcus. Culture Score is a podcast at the intersection of black culture and popular culture. We cover film, TV, and music. Today, we are covering Coming to America 2 as in number two, which I think should have been called Return to Zamunda. Different conversation. As is customary, we give, it, we give a shout out to the studio. And in this case, it's Amazon Prime, even though the project was actually created by Paramount Pictures. The lead actors, there's a lot of really good actors in this movie, but the lead actors, Eddie Murphy, Asenio Hall, um, is directed by Craig Brewer and lead writers, Kenya Barris, Barry Blonstein, and David Sheffield. How they managed to put 10 pounds of work into a five pound bag is one of the magic tricks of this particular movie. So Marcus, take it away with the synopsis. Well, I got to tell you, I think this is one of the most revered cult classics within a black community of any film that's been made. And uh, I got to tell you, man, this movie coming out is something that I think a lot of people are a little apprehensive about. But once they heard about it, they were super stoked that it was coming out. Um, the premise of this film, this particular one is about um, Eddie Murphy's character, Akeem, has a child that he had no idea that he had with uh, Leslie Jones' character, and uh, he has a son. So he has to go back to Brooklyn, uh, get re reunited, or get united because he's never met his son before. And a whole lot of hijinks comes from this. Um, we get some oldies but goodies. We get some returning characters. Uh, Arsenio's semi-character is back. Um, so yeah, we just get to go on this ride of trying to find out, you know, Eddie getting to meet his son, then them coming back to Zamunda. And uh, so yeah, it's it's a roller coaster ride that uh, had some 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 bumps, but it was a, a ride, and we're going to go through it and discuss it here today. And uh, you know, hopefully, if for those of you who haven't seen it, this will make you want to see it. And for those of you who have seen it, hopefully we can start some debate. So let's dig right into it, Ben. So, Marcus, um, compare and contrast. What do you think of coming to America, number one, and coming to number two America? I love the first one. Love it, love it, love it. I revere it. It's, it's awesome. The same. Uh, Eddie, That's Eddie, a check mark. <laughs> Eddie Murphy was in his absolute prime. Uh, not that he's not now, but just, you know, um, I think the biggest difference, just very bluntly, is the first one is a little bit more lewd. It's a lot more risque. Um, it's a lot more in your face. They take a lot more chances on jokes. Um, this is more of a family-friendly film. This um, is a sanitized it, version, alcohol-free. Yes, yes it's, it's much more sanitized. This is the Purell version <laughs> of coming to America. <laughs> um, and coming uh, to America with a mask. <laughs> yeah, this is this is coming to America COVID edition, you know. And that's not saying that's a bad thing necessarily. It's just, you know, clearly when you can have an R rating, there's certain things that you, you know you can say and go into it, you know. And uh so I would say that's the biggest difference, to be honest with you. You know, I think, like you said, the character, the cast was amazing at the time, but a lot of the cast 
when we saw the first coming to America, we wasn't familiar with all of these actors. And the second one, you not only have those cast of characters coming back, but you have even more heavyweights. I mean, you didn't just have Eddie and Arsenio. Um, you didn't just have James Earl Jones. They added Wesley Snipes. You know, they went out there and they added Morgan Freeman. I mean, so you they they definitely Man, brought I, some heavyweight. Like I said, it's like 10 pounds of stuff in a five-pound bag when it comes to, like, the cast. They got everybody and their mom in this one, including Dikembe Mutombo, if you haven't watched it. So if, you, <laughs> if you like that How did finger. I leave Dikembe? Hey, yeah, I got a quick, quick Dikembe Mutombo story. So I was on a flight one day. I don't remember where I was going, but it was like a cross-country flight. So it was like maybe from the East Coast to L.A. or something. And, you know, anybody who knows Dikembe Mutombo, one of the greatest centers in the NBA, one of the greatest defensive players ever, he's extraordinarily philanthropic, like probably one of the most philanthropic athletes we've ever seen. And I don't know what he is. I think he's seven foot one, seven foot two. You would expect this super tall guy to be sitting first class. And I'm, I'm pretty tall myself. I'm like six, four or what have you. And don't tell me he wasn't because he's probably he standing up. He was sitting coach. And I asked him, he may, I don't know if, if I saw him today, if he will ever remember this conversation, but I asked him, I said, you know, I didn't want to be like, hey, why are you not sitting in first class? But I was like, hey, are you okay? And his answer moved me so much. And I never forgot it. He was like, the money that I could have spent sitting first class is money that can go to a better cause. Never forgot that. I just thought that was, I just thought that was one of the most like uh, crazy things that you would hear from a multimillionaire. And I just, so anyway, I just want to tell this story because I just think uh, that's just something that stays with you over these years. So anyway, I digress. I thought, I, I thought you were about to say something about his finger being stuck up the window of a plane or something, <laughs> that finger that he likes to whack, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I, hopefully this is a little bit better. Hopefully that story is a little bit better. No, that that's a very deep story. I can't even make any jokes about that. that <laughs> that's something you bow to, so I'll be yeah. quiet. But I, I think getting back to... Comparing and contrasting, I know you're in the middle of it, so I'm going to take this since you had this deep story for us. I'm going to say a couple of my things, and you can get back to some of your thoughts. I think to me, one of the things I missed in the show was the whole Soul Glow aspect and Samuel L. Since they brought everybody back, I was like, Soul Glow was like a whole half of that movie. Like, where, where did he go? Like, Eric, Eric De La Salle, like, where are you, man? Come back. And then Samuel L., he didn't play like, you know, he didn't appear in like too many shots in the first one, but his role was like a very critical role that kind of introduced an aspect of who Eddie was. And, you know, they brought everybody back, like bring him back too, right? And then obviously um, comparing both both movies, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard not to say the second one is like a derivative of the first one. Like, you know, sequels are like, can be an extension or could be something completely different. This one is very derivative of the first one. Like there's a lot of things in there that I think if you didn't watch the first one, you'd still laugh, right? It, it'd still be funny. It's still, you wouldn't have to be because they kind of softballed most of the references, but you know, like good morning, my prince, good morning, Zamunda. Like a lot of things that for the folks that watch the first one, they'll crack up because it brings back, you know, those memories, right? This is, it, it references a lot of the really good parts of the first. So I think, you know, comparing them, those couple of things that I thought really kind of 
hit. And it's made for, in my opinion, it's really made for the fans of the first one and like sequels nowadays. Um, the monetizing, you know, the goodwill that was created and, you know, the bed of customers that, you know, created for the first, right? So I think those are some of the things that I thought, you know, were comparable between the first and the second movies. I felt like it's, even though it's a sequel, I, I use that word loosely because it kind of felt like a remix more than a sequel. Um, you, that's you know a great I mean way. That's a <laughs> great way to put it. Yeah, it just it it felt different, and I mean, this is not a knock, but when I made the joke that it was a sanitized version, it really kind of was, um, you know, because you know you can't say some of the things that you said before, and we definitely live in a somewhat more PC nation, like. You know, even though I think the first one is just comedy gold, you know, in the world we live in now, you know, if I was a female, I may say, hey, that was a lot of misogyny, a lot of sexist behaviors put in the first one. And this one, oh, you can absolutely. sense, it's like, definitely got a female. Some... Yeah, 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 go ahead. No, no, no. But you can feel like this one has a little bit more female empowerment. Um, like his daughter, she is staking her claim. That's rightfully so, by the way. And so I think they tried to correct some of those things. Um, I think it's a tell of the times, but sometimes, you know, you lose some of the jokes that you might could have had in the, in the past. But I do think you got to be privy to certain jokes hitting the mark and some not. But I definitely think it's a lot more sanitized. It's a lot more family oriented. I too miss Soul Glow. I can't think of her name now, so forgive me, but I miss uh, Eddie's wife, who's now the queen, her sister, because I feel like she played a very important oh, yeah, part in the yeah, first film, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. But I did some research, and it seems like she just was not at all interested in this uh, being a part of this film. It seemed like there may have been some bad blood there, so I won't speak on what I don't know. But just based on what I saw, that's what it looks like. But I thought her and Eric LaSalle not being in the film kind of, you know, you miss them. Even though their parts wasn't huge, it was like really important roles. And it's like part of when you think of coming to America, you think of those two. Yeah, they were both. They both had really critical roles, and like even the role that um, Lisa played, I thought her role in this second one is it was very empowering and endearing. You know, the first one, you know, when they came over to Queens, right? She was, you know, she she was being courted, and then she had to go fit into this whole defined world of Zamunda. And this second one, she was playing the queen, but she also had a very empowered position within the kingdom. Right. And with that said, one of the things that I, I think actually I want I kind of mentioned when I did the intro, one of the things I was like thinking, looking at the movie and saying, why didn't they call it like Return to Zamunda or something? Because the first one really all played out in Queens. Mm -hmm. This one, they still kind of played it out in Queens. But the promise of Zamunda didn't come out. And I was like, why didn't they just do a Return to Zamunda and kind of make it be um, something that really delves into the whole Zamunda vibe that, you know, Eddie Murphy and, you know, um, Asenia Hall did a very good job of portraying, you know, all the elegance and all of that stuff. But I mean, to that, jumping away from that, what are some of the, what are some of the good things? What do you enjoy watching this movie? I got to tell you, the costumes were a character in themselves. It was amazing. I thought the costumes were just sick. And where I come from, I'm being biased, you know, the, the costumes was done by um, Academy Award winning Ruth Carter, who just got her star on the Walk of Fame uh, earlier this month. Oh, she and did? She is, 
Yeah, she is a proud oh, Hampton wow. graduate who, you know, I'm always going to rep my, my, my HU, but she's a Hampton graduate and she just, she's the first ever African-American to get a uh, star on a walk of fame for costume design. And she has also done uh, such films as uh, Black Panther. She's worked with Spike Lee on everything from like, I think, Coming to America to Malcolm X. She has, she's done everything. Anything that has super high costumes in a Black film, she's probably one who did it. And I just thought she took this very, you know, Afrocentric yet futuristic type outfits. And it was like athletic wear. Like even how did she, she took- do, um, Did she do Dolomite is my name? Yeah, uh, she did. Oh, okay. Well, she deserves two stars. Yeah, because I just feel like that was like another character. The costuming, even on the first film, by the way, was amazing. Um, the, but some of the good be, parts, before, I, before you oh, jump from that, Marcus, I want to point out, she, so she did a good job with the costuming, but I think something we talked about in another episode where she actually used like threads that are of African making. So it's called Ankara. Like the, the, this materials that they use to make a lot of like, and I use African very loosely. So let's use West African and probably East African outfits. So you see like a lot of the outfits that come from like Ghana, Cameroon, um, Nigeria, Kenya to a small extent. They use these Ankara outfits, um, Ankara threads to design them. And that's really what gives it, you know, the designs and the pop. So absolutely. And the jewelry that she also added onto oh, some yeah. of those outfits. You. That was gorgeous, have a man. Line. Yeah. I mean, she literally, that's, I mean, if there's a person who has a calling in this world, I feel like her costume, she's like the Michael Jordan costume. I mean, I said I'm biased, but you watch any of her films and tell me if her costumes don't jump off the screen. Like you can't, Forget them. So I thought that was a really strong part of the film. Um, I like seeing some of the returning characters, you know. Um, you know, anytime I hate to say it, you put uh, Arsenio and Eddie in some prosthetics, something's going to come out of that. <laughs> it just is. Um, and believe it or not, the, I, I, again, I saw this, that the same guys who did the prosthetics for this film, this is where Eddie first met them doing the first coming to America. And he used those same guys for the clumps and Norbert. So we've seen Eddie and prosthetics a lot. This is where his love of doing it came from because this was the first time he ever met those guys. So their prosthetics are just super well done. Um, so I really enjoyed that part of it, you know, and I thought Wesley Snipes was funny. I mean, I think he kind of stole, even though he was a little bit of a caricature, I feel like he kind of like, if there was a scene stiller, I felt like, he kind of did it. So I would say those are some of the, the three highlights that I liked uh, the most. And obviously, I always like the, 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 the conversations and the bouncing off of each other with Eddie and Arsenio. I feel like that's what we have, like, you know, the joke, how you joke each other. Um, those are some of the things that I liked uh, the most. If I had to name one thing that I would have liked to see more, even though I know you had to introduce the son and the son's mother, I would have liked to have more of the banter between Arsenio and Eddie. Because I feel like that's, that's the fabric that held the first one together. And I didn't feel like we got enough of them together this time. So if that was a, one major disappointment, that, that would have been it for me. So what about for you? No, I think you hit it. I think the costuming for me was way by far the number one thing that jumped out. I mean, it just made the visuals of the movie just start, to stand kind of apart by themselves. 
So that absolutely. And another thing that you touched on that to me seems like something that's not said enough about Eddie is his ability to bring people along, right? You want to think about, I mean, he's brought along so many people and giving them roles that, um, you know, they continue to do very well. So you look at a lot of his movies. So Life, which is actually my favorite movie that he's done by far. Have you watched it? Oh, yeah. Come on. You can't have my yeah. cornbread. All right, Claude. <laughs> Come on, man. Come Claude. on. But so you go back and look at that and see the number of comedians of our time that got in that movie for the first time, right? And you look at the cast, you know, I'm sure if you go look behind the screens and all of that. So to me, um, that's something that I really appreciated about the movie. And obviously they made, um, like you said, it's a remix and they must have, it, it just seemed like they had fun doing it, which made it, you know, light, um, which, you know, in some cases may be great, maybe not, you know, the barbershop scene, um, even though I have some issues with it, you know, the, just just bringing that back and having those voices and the nostalgia that it brings is something that, you know, I, I enjoyed, um, you know, with the movie. I, I, I was watching it and thinking, damn, the writers must have had a lot of fun um, creating that show, you know, creating the movie, right? Because there's just so much that they squeezed in. And obviously to get to that point, they had to cut off a ton of other things and just think about what they make it. I'm like, they must have had a lot of fun. So those are some of the things that I enjoyed with it. I don't I don't know how King of Bears has time to do all the stuff that he does. I mean, I don't, oh my, I don't, I, I don't. Honestly, I marvel at him. I, I, I mean, because I'm like, dude, how are you working on so many things at one time? I, you know, I, I don't know how he does it. And, you know, I'm like, man, that's, that's a lot of projects, but you know what? I guess, you know, they say, if you love what you do, you know, maybe it's not work for you, you know? So, you know, props to him. So let me, and, let me ask you, know, you this because maybe cause this they put, go ahead. I was going to, this is, this is the, um, kind of like an elephant in a room kind of thing. You know, when you start talking about a futuristic, uh, wealthy, not a downtrodden African country, you, you can't help, but think about when you think about Zamunda, you can't help, but compare it to Wakanda. I think it's just hard not to. So I'm just curious. I know this is these are both imaginary places, but um, you know, what do you think they have in common? What what do you think um, just based on what you saw? What what were there? Were there any stereotypes? Was there anything that you found to be uh, different or lacking? Like, how would you compare Zamunda to Wakanda? You really I know it's a loaded question, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I, we, we've had this conversation before. Um, Wakanda, it's, it's, it's very regal, you know, it's respected, you know, it's very, it's very futuristic and it appeals to, you know, the hopeful sides of us of what could have been and it empowers it, right? So it takes these things that we think about and then it imagines this world where, you know, there is this power and this dynamism. And then not only that, it dives into the nuances of, you know, what, I, I, I don't really like using Africa. Like, just use what an African country is. A lot of African countries, it's not one tribe. It's not one people. It's not just, you know, it's, it's a bunch of villages, a bunch of tribes of people who live together and who really reflect and live their culture, which is, you know, what Wakanda is. And they went into the nuances and tapped into it and looked at different dimensions. And within those dimensions, 
they really represented the cultures of different tribes in different African countries. So I think that was what was most uplifting about Wakanda is that it went to a time that didn't allow for some of the things that have been historically bad or historically a, a, a stain in black history to exist. And it says, we didn't have this period. This is what it could have been. So it, it's that whole, it, there's that whole futuristic, sexy, powerful part of it. Zamunda is kind of the same. And I think that's one of the things that um, was very appealing about coming to America, number one, is that Zamunda had the airs of it. It kind of espoused it without going as far as Wakanda went in the first attempt, you know, with the outfits and, you know, the King Jaffa Jaffa and all of these things. So we, we, we sat and we imagined a world of this powerful African country of Zamunda. And two, instead of visiting that and diving into it, in my opinion, with what Wakanda did, you know, we go back to talking about the lions and, you know, the, the, the elephants and these things that to me are very cliche and, and very cheap, if you ask me, and simplistic stereotypes of what Africa is, right? So think about when he went into, when they came back and went into the barbershop in Queens and they walk in and it's like, oh, it's Kunta Kinte and Ebola. Like, Ebola, are you serious? Like, this is today. There's all the violence against AAPI that stems from, and it's not, I can't say it stems from that because if you look into what's happening to Asians in America now, this is something that you can trace back to the building of the railroads and the Second World War when they have Japanese internment camps and all this. So this, it's a part of the history. But you think about that and say, we're pointing that to the fact that it's exacerbating now because of the whole China virus thing. I hate to say that. Um, folks that are supposed to be from Africa, from some African country, they walk into a barbershop and you're calling them Kunta Kinta and Ebola. Like that to me was not off taste, right? The famine and blood diamond, Nelson Mandela and Winnie. And then like they got to a point where they say those hungry babies with flies on their face, like you lose a lot of people. And it really knocks the taste out of my mouth when you're so cheap about these things. Like you talk about flies and you talk about hungry babies. Yeah, we all see the commercials on TV where you have folks playing these videos of kids that are laying in the street and flies just running up their faces and they're trying to represent this as this is what Africa is. It, it's, you couldn't be further from the truth. You know, I argue, you know, as somebody of African descent, you know, I argue that there's just as much poverty on Skid Row. If, if you're not familiar with Skid Row and you ever come to LA, there's so many beautiful things about LA. There's so many things about LA that are Hollywood that people come here and they want to visit. But I think just as impactful, if you want to see poverty and you want to see strife, I take folks who visit me from out of town, I take them to Skid Row after I take them to all these other places just to kind of balance them out. But, you know, I, I look at that and I say, those are some of the things that Wakanda did a much better job of that Zamunda was lazy about and something that really stuck with me. And I would, I'd be remiss to say they also did, like I, I mentioned, the Ankara outfits. This is like West African things that are like deep and the folks that know it will see. They had a Nigerian artist in there, Davido, who performed at the wedding, right? So they had some things in there that spoke to 
spoke to, I really struggle. I don't like using Africa because it's a continent that, that speak to some of the nations in, in Africa. So Davido's Nigeria and the Ankara outfit obviously touches a bunch of West African nations and all of those things. But while you, you raise those things up and you point and you use them in design, I also know that Ruth Carter actually used, Ruth Carter actually used a, a business in Nigeria to do some of the outfits. So while they do some of these things, you have to be careful with how you portray and how you joke about these things, because it's through these jokes and it's through these references that you kind of consolidate some very lazy thoughts that people have and you, you, you build on these stereotypes. And when you do that, it takes so much more for people to inform themselves that, oh, maybe that was just a joke. You know, it's a punchline in the joke. No, yeah, it is. But just like you can say China virus and think you're just saying it and walking away from it, there's somebody that's listening to it and that's taking it to heart and you don't know what they're going to do about it, right? So for this to be a movie that was written by, created by, and, you know, the lead actors and probably behind the screens and all of that are like, you know, folks, Black people of African descent at some point, I think some of those things needed to be sanitized. I'm glad you took it somewhere deeper. And I, and I hope that's some of the things that people will get from this show. Because when I posed the question about Wakanda Zamunda, it was a lighthearted question. And I'm glad you took it somewhere that, that has some depth. Because what's going on in this country, not just now, but what's been going on for a while, uh, especially with our, our Asian brethren and sisters, you know, they, all that's going on right now. It all stemmed from someone calling COVID-19 the China virus. And I do agree with you, and especially being a person that is from a country in Africa, it hits home differently, maybe for you than some people who just looked at it as a joke. And I think it's, it's important for people to know, in comedy, it's okay for you to make jokes about things. But I do believe, especially what's going on in this country right now, and clearly they shot this movie before that, but I will agree. When I saw it, I kind of cringed. It felt a little lazy and it felt a little, it felt out of place. It felt like it was a joke that could have been told maybe in the 80s, even if it wouldn't have been appropriate then either. But we know more now. We understand more. We understand why people think what they think and how words matter. And I'll be honest with you. um, I don't think you should put anybody down. So let me be clear when I make this comment. But whether you're African-American or you're you're still a black person, there's enough people in the world putting you down. You don't need to do it to yourselves, to ourselves. And so that's my little soapbox on that because I think you said it way more eloquently and can speak to it way better than I did. But having said that, I want to delve into something that kind of got me thinking and, and you and I have talked about offline. You know, this is a movie that is produced uh, that is starring in um, all by Black people. It was even shot at Tyler Perry Studios, at a studio um, owned by a Black person. And a lot of people, and I get it, absolutely loved and again, I'll say revered the first one. It seemed like it has almost become sport to trash uh, this movie. Um, I think similar things have happened to uh, Bad Boys. It just It's almost like we enjoy uh, trashing some of our own films. And I would just say this, what's, where's the line at? You know what I'm saying? Like, where's the line between, hey, 
You have a right to your opinion. You have a right to say that you don't like it. I don't think that you should not review a movie poorly if you don't feel like it was a great movie just because it's a black film. But at the same time, when we know in this industry, it is so difficult to get a black movie starring black people produced by black people on a black studio lot. Like it's, it's putting so many people to work. Do, do we always have to, what, where's the line at between just being a critical reviewer and just being like, just being a, a jerk about it? You know what I'm saying? Like it's, cause I, that's one of the things that I have seen, just the, so many of the reviews can be negative. And even though I'm asking a question, I know I'm going on a bit of a, a tangent, but I would just say, Eddie Murphy does not get the credit he deserves. When we talk about the mega stars in film, in modern day history, you hear people give Schwarzenegger, Stallone, Tom Hanks, Will Smith, you know, Tom Cruise, and some of those big names. But if you look at it, Eddie Murphy's career has put so many butts in seats, has grossed so many ticket sales, and let me just say, he's put a truckload of people of color on the map. I'm not just talking about giving them work, people who are already got a name. I'm talking about putting like their first big thing that you know them for. Sometimes do you think it's counterproductive to be so critical of a movie? Because no one goes out of their way to make a bad movie or a bad album. Or, you know, I don't think that's ever someone's intent. Maybe you didn't like it as much as you wanted to. And I also think when anytime somebody loves something at first and you do a new version of it, it's gonna be it's gonna take such a hard sale for people to like the second one as much anyway. But what do you think about that? I mean, I know I kind of went on this tangent, but I hope you get what I'm saying. Like, did it deserve the vitriol that we gave it? And, you know, because people hear that, studios hear that. And for so long, they said black films couldn't be marketed overseas. Not enough people wanted to see them. They're not worthy of these big budgets. If we trash our own so intently, are we hurting us from being able to have future things made? And so anyway, I'm throwing this to you, Ben, because I, I went on for a while, but I want to get your opinion. I think Eddie Murphy is like most comedians. Comedians seem to have a shelf life. They're very funny. Um, they're funny. And then they're taken for granted. Like your jokes, you know, the way they think about it. One of, you know, one of the things about comedians is we appreciate the way they look at the world because it's a point of view that they have that we have, but no. They have a point of view that we appreciate because they look at simple things that we see. We just don't see it the way they do. And so over time... You know, a Kevin Hart joke, you know, the setup and the punchline, you become very familiar with. His mannerisms, you become familiar with, right? So it's, it's not too easy for him to shock you. And I think that's what eventually, it eventually caught up to Eddie Murphy. But if you step back and look at his life's work, right, like Lifetime Achievement, Eddie Murphy, and everything he's done and how intentional he is about bringing people on and all of that stuff, you know, absolutely respect him. As far as the work goes, you know, creativity is very fickle, right? Is it necessary to be nasty about it? No. But if somebody takes the time to watch the movie, which is, I'm sure, is what they were hoping, and they did a lot of references to the first one, so they clearly knew what they were trying, the lineage of this second one was about. If you're tying it to that and people are giving you feedback and saying, hey, you know, this is what this is and this is what that is. I mean, feedback is great. Um, it's a gift, like they say, right? So 
the feedback side of it, no, to, to completely trash it and call it, I mean, for somebody to start and finish something, it, it takes a lot to start and to finish. Finishing is very hard. Like you can start 10 projects to get one across the line is very difficult because it's not only what you do, there's a bunch of pieces that need to come together for this to happen, right? So this was done by Paramount. It was supposed to go to theaters. COVID happened. They got it to Amazon. They got it out. So it's a lot of effort for all of that to happen. They brought in a lot of folks to, you know, a lot of people who otherwise wouldn't get a chance to be in a picture this big. They, they got them on. They got it done. So there are aspects to it. Most things, I mean, even movies that, you absolutely, so like bad boys that maybe was not very highly rated, the very good aspects to it, right? So there's, there's a balance to that that I think is fair. Um, when, if I'm just thinking about black movies, for example, and say, you know, should black people have be predisposed not to be critical of the work if they find things that they can critique? I don't think so. I, I think that's the rubber that makes... Um, the work get better over time, right? Because some of these stories that are being told now, um, as we've been advocating, is that we haven't been telling a lot of these stories. And I'm not just talking coming number two America. I'm just not talking that. I'm talking about the general body of work, the stories that you're going to see on the screen. Like you, you're seeing Disney's doing um, a picture in Nigeria. Netflix is doing pictures in Nigeria and South Africa. And we're telling a lot of Black American stories that, you know, before we just didn't get the light of day to tell. You know, but with all of that happening, I think getting the feedback from the audience and, and pressing you, it's just like the Madea movies. A lot of people didn't like it. Like a lot of people complained about it and all of that, but he was telling an angle, you know, of the black grandma that a lot of other people could relate to. So I think I think it's necessary. The feedback is necessary. Um, providing critique is necessary. Bring critical of it as if somebody goes out to intentionally do this or to do that. Maybe not so much, but that's as good for this movie as you know, with people when they're giving feedback to their kids. Like you still want to reinforce the positive. You still want to jump off, you know, with the, you know, from a right point where people can actually embrace it as opposed to being so abrasive that, you know, folks deny to take your feedback, even if it's constructive, right? I, I don't know if it's constructive. We, man, we live in a world now where I think social media is just everything. And I would just say, I completely agree with you. Like, I think, you have every right to be critical. It's your hard-earned money. And if you didn't like a film, if you know you don't feel like it was worth your whatever you paid for a ticket or whatever uh, time you used watching on the streaming network, it's okay if you don't like a film. That's okay. Um, not everything's going to hit home for you. But to just trash a film or trash a star who, one, has given you so much over their career I just, I just don't know. I mean, it's like we all have that person that we know, a friend or relative, who you just do not want to get that person a microphone. <laughs> just because everybody has a voice don't mean everybody has something to say. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and, I, and, and, and I, I'm like, you have a right to voice it. But when you see comments like, this is the worst movie I've ever seen. You clearly haven't seen a lot of movies. <laughs> That's the first thing. <laughs> you clearly haven't seen a lot of movies. And two... I would just say this to my, my, my black community. Why are we so hard on ourselves sometimes? I hear you when you say the black community is so hard on ourselves, 
But you also got to realize that everything comes hard. I mean, if you're used to waking up in the morning and, you know, let's use coming to America. <laughs> like, good morning, my <laughs> highness, right? And you're used to <laughs> flying jets and you're used to um, being able to get offers to go to USC, even if you don't qualify and all of these things. And, you know, your kid graduates and they get called in for jobs and all, you know what I mean? Like, this is the, this is the, the the collective experience of the black person in America and probably a lot of minorities. And obviously, when we say this, it's not like we're saying that, you know, white people all get passes on because I know that argument comes up as well. But I think when you're used to just swimming upstream all the time, even if somebody gives you a life raft for you to float downstream, it'll confuse you, right? So it, I, I think it takes a while for you to see yourself in the picture and appreciate yourself in the picture, for you to say, you know what, it's okay. Uh, my makeup wasn't good today, but fine. You know, my teeth had some kind of greens on it, but it's fine, right? So I, I think but, I But my counter you? to that being, my counter to that would be this, and this is just what I would say. We know our people have seen hard times, but let me say this. If I don't like something, I don't like it. And I can say, hey, you know what? I didn't think this one was as good as the other one. I didn't laugh as much. I didn't like it. Okay, that's not harsh. That's your opinion, and you can go on. But I do believe there's sometimes we really enjoy tearing down um, our own sometimes. And it's almost, it almost seems a little bit vicious at times. Um, and, I, and I would just caution against it. I'm not here to wag my finger and lecture anybody. Um, that's not my intent <laughs> by any stretch. I'm not no. here to lecture the yeah. black community. I'm not trying to be like Bill Cosby or something from back in the day. I'm not doing that. What I am saying is this: sometimes I think it's just a little bit, it's like the higher up you get, the more we feel like, hey, I got to let you know that your, you know what, still stinks. And it's like, these artists are make, trying to make something for you that you will like. They know you revere it. That's why they waited 30 years to make it. Um, my understanding is they went through four or five scripts. They, they, they wanted to make something that you will, you would like. And so I just, I just caution sometimes I feel like, uh, knocking folks just become a sport and that's not just in our community. That's, that's in our nation. That's in our world. Social media has made everyone think that they are a critic and they deserve to be heard. And here, I'm not trying to sit here and say I'm better than anybody because here you and I, we're doing this. It's not like we got some degree in movie reviewing. But at the same time, you know, I, I try to be fair. I try to be fair on both sides. And uh, so, yeah. And, and so if I could, I'm going to go ahead and kind of take that and jump into my score, Ben, because that leads me to... Yeah, go ahead. Go what, what's it. your score? So it is very hard when, in my mind, the first one is a five. It's a five with extra credit. The first coming to America is just... It just... I watched it again, and it still makes me laugh. Um, I thought this one was funny. But I got to be honest, I'm going to give this one a two out of five. And I'm going to say why. Hello, the reason why I think it's a two boy. out of five <laughs> is, is because I felt like the film was rushed. Not rushed in getting made, but the story moved so fast where you didn't have time for things to land. There was a few things that just wasn't congruent for me. Like, you know, Leslie Jones' character kind of made this look like, oh, you think this, this child is yours? Like, oh, so it was almost like, it, I didn't think it was yours. 
But nobody ever responded to that. Nobody ever answered to that. It's just a lot of little things that was just kind of rushed through that really wasn't explained to me in the film. And it just seemed like it just really rushed fast. Like even when his son, you know, proposes to his to his barber and Zamunda, like that happened so fast. Like in no life would somebody like after meeting somebody for a few days be like, hey, I'm going to ask you to marry. It, it just seemed like things sometimes meant went really, really quickly. And I go back to what I said to you in the beginning. The thing that really was the fabric of coming to America to me was Eddie and Arsenio, just them two working together. I felt like if they were together in the first film, 70, 80% of the time, I felt like we really only got them together like 15% of the time. And that's what made it. That's, that's what made the film to me. And I also, you know, I get it. He's older. I didn't feel like James Earl Jones had to die. I didn't like the way he went out. <laughs> he died standing thing. up too. Isn't that some Yeah, I just I didn't, like the, I didn't like the way he went out. Um, I love Kiki Lane. I love what she's about to be, who who's his daughter. I think she is a superstar in The Rising. I loved her in If Bill Street Could Talk. Um, it's eluding me now, but she was in, uh, gosh, I can't think of a movie that came out on Netflix last year with Charlize Theron. She was amazing in that. I love Kiki Lane. So there's things I liked. But I think when I hold you in such high regard with the first one, and it's impossible not to compare you to the first one, it's just really hard. Like, you know, I'm a Michael Jackson fan. I- anything he makes after Off the Wall and Thrill, like two huge hits, it's just so hard to live up to that. I'm not saying, and I like some of his other works as well, but I'm just saying when you make a masterpiece and it's a sequel or as I call it, a remix, you, you got to compare it to the other one. And so it's, it just doesn't hit the mark for me. Um, does it have funny moments? It does. But I'm, a, I'm, I'm giving it a two out of five, man. That's my score. Boy, this is the tightest. You, you, I'm actually going to give it a better score than you for a change. For the first time ever. Yeah, boy, it's going down. For the first time ever. I need okay. a drum. I need to, I need a hug for this one. I need to lay down and be like, I'm actually giving it a better score than Marcus. Usually I'm the Grinch. So I'm giving it, I'm giving it a three. Um, okay. And I mean, it's very simple to me. Three, bang average, right? Three out of five. It could be 2.5, but I'll give it a three. The reason I'm giving it a three, it's, it's just overstuffed, if you ask me, right? They got everybody in the movie and not enough focus on like key people. So Wesley Snipes, it was hilarious in the movie, right? He, you thought he was a villain. You thought he was cooking up to do something. He had the phony, the, again, the little phony, funny moments, but nothing really came out of him, right? And then you had, I mean, if you go down the, the, li- the list, they, for crying out loud, they had Michael Blackson, Dikembe Mot- <laughs> Mutombo, Tracy Morgan, Trevor Noah, Morgan Freeman, Rick Ross, Salt and Pepper, and Vogue, Gladys Knight. You know, like, I just felt like it's overstuffed. And it, yeah. it, oh, it, by the it way, Ben, I'm sorry to cut you off. Did you know, I just want to ask you this real quick. Did you know that that castle that they use for Zamunda is Rick Ross's actual house in Atlanta? I did. I read about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw that. So to that, I'd also say they use sound stages a little bit too much. Like it was just, and it just simplified it because, I mean, to me, I'm watching it. I'm like, man. This is too much soundstage stuff going on in here, right? So 
it's overstuffed. It's just punchline after punchline. It is the jokes are funny, but they're not jokes that you remember, right? So right, right. I'm breath. I agree with that. I'm breath. I'd say if coming to America number one was a Coke, this one is at very best a cheap diet Coke, a small can. <laughs> so I'll give it a three. Okay. Well, again, we want to let it be known. I'm gonna tell you right now, Eddie fan. I just have to say this, even you know, you said that. Let me ask you this real quick before we sign off. So, is Life your favorite Eddie movie? By far, Life. Right. Like I've watched okay. it. Like there was a time when I literally could quote that whole movie off the top. <laughs> okay. Okay. Him well, or Martin Lawrence. Who... Him or Martin oh, Lawrence. Oh, Martin Lawrence. Yeah. Um, Jangalang in the movie. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm yeah. a little partial, and anybody who knows me from my HU days, and of course with my name been Marcus, I am a diehard Boomerang fan. <laughs> uh, love me some Boomerang. Uh, love me some Halle. I, 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 John Witherspoon. I'm so, come on, coordinate. That's come on. Boomerang is like that's that's my go-to. I probably watched Boomerang more than almost any movie I've ever watched, and I still keep it in steady rotation. But I really. I want to let it be known. I, I gave it a two only because I'm really comparing it to the first one. Um, is it a bad movie? No. Is it as good as the first one? No. Is it the worst movie you will ever see? No. Would I suggest people watching it? Yes. Will you get some laughs? Yes. And I'll be honest. And let me leave you with this thought and then I'll let you close it out, Ben. We've had a really tough world the last year. And it seems like all the shows and movies that come out now they're very dark. I mean, they're critically acclaimed. The acting is amazing in these films now, but we don't get a lot of comedies. It's almost like it's a dying breed. You don't have bridesmaids coming out anymore. You don't have, you don't, you don't have coming to America's. You don't have lives. You don't have these kind of movies, um, comedies coming out that much anymore. So when you get one, enjoy it. Take your time to laugh because the world is dark enough. We need some levity. <laughs> Let me just throw that out there. So anyway, I, I give it to you to close out, Ben. Once again, thanks for thanks for vibing with us. We enjoy doing this. We hope you enjoy listening to it. Until next time, this is Ben and Marcus. And this is Culture Score. Thanks for listening. Until next time. All right, time. peace, everybody. Peace out.